Welcome to Crime in Plastic, a gripping podcast where I, Dr. Miami, one of the world's top plastic surgeons, and my co-host, Santina, the amateur true crime researcher, delve into the often unseen world where true crime and plastic surgery intersect. Each week, I share my expertise and insights into the complex world of cosmetic procedures, while Santina gives you the shocking details of criminal investigations. From notorious criminals undergoing drastic transformations to evade the law, to even our own personal encounters with true crime and plastic surgery, all will be uncovered. So sit back, relax, or don't, because this is Crime Crime and and Plastic. Welcome to the first episode of Crime and Plastic. I'm Dr. Mammy. I'm Santina. With Santina and Rosie. Rosie. And well, let's tell the story how we came about. Crime and plastic. Yeah, how we how we come up with this idea. So I had a podcast called Love and Plastic. I think you still do. I still do. You still have that podcast, (laughs) by the way. So we've had that for a few years. And then a podcasting company came and approached us and said we want to they want to like uh, reinvent it and yes. whatever. Or perhaps start a new a new podcast. A new podcast. And so we were kind of spitballing ideas and I said, I love to listen to true crime podcasts. Crime junkies. What's the one that you like? You forgot the like most important part is that they wanted me to be in the podcast. Yeah, they wanted Because I wasn't in love and plastic guys. In the podcast. That's true. And 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 what's the one that you like, the crime one? Morbid. 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 So and, good. And so I said and and I keep track of like all the crazy things. Yes, you do. All the crimes you that do. happen to do with either plastic surgeons, plastic surgery patients, patients who do crazy things to then get well, plastic surgery. Well, you said that you like true crime. Yes. And then I said, why don't you do true crime and plastic surgery? Because you know all these crazy things that happen with plastic surgeons and crime. And it's so crazy because this man is like so like type a like tunnel vision like if you say something within his wheelhouse of focus like he's not gonna let grab it go. onto it like a rot he's not gonna let it go <laughs> until it's like you know he's gonna beat that horse horse till it's dead and so within like 24 hours i had like 50 stories that mm-hmm. i just remembered made a list made a whatsapp chat started sending them all and then sending I, or bombarding bombarding and then let santina the amateur with a capital a Crime researcher. No, because I've been out of school for a long time. So <laughs> research to me, like the most research I do is sitting on my for you page and finding a good sound. Right. So no, you do better research than that. I do. I do better research, but I'm a little rusty. You're, no, you're no. Great. When you when you worked for the law firm, she was like. Oh, a, I forgot. I worked for a law. She firm. was like a bloodhound. I mean, She's, like that's true. She could. You could give her. You know. Like Part of a like, license plate number. Yes, and you'll find where they live, who they are, what, yes. they're, what they've been accused of, the whole <laughs> yes. the whole case docket. If you missed your rent one time in 1947, <laughs> she will find it and show you the legal documents for it. So she's yeah. actually perfectly suited for this kind of research. So I gave her the cases, and blah, 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 blah. here we are. Here we are. Here we are. With our first episode of Crime in Plastic, and these are interesting cases, truly most of them are not really known that well known right. to the public. It's mm-hmm. it's funny because like I I listen to Morbid, but I listen to like this other girl Sarah. I, I listen to like several true crime podcasts, and a lot of the times they overlap like stories. Right. Like they they do like pretty big main ones. Right. People do all the time, and I never see plastic surgery. Never. Ones. Yeah. But as a plastic surgeon, I know all of them. 
I mean, and there's well, you some have a really special interest there's in some yeah. doozies. Right. Mm-hmm. And well, let's just jump right into it. Yeah, Santina, I'm excited. To Santina, hear. let's hear the first, the first case. Okay. And I, I don't know what case she picked. I just sent her a, a bunch, and yes. I said, Do, research these, and let's get to the details. I like this case because. No, I'm kidding. You're not going to say. I know why she likes why it. Why does she like it? Because the plastic surgeon gets killed. Oh, great. <laughs> Another one bites the dust. And you know what's even better? First name, Michael. <laughs> no comments. No, I'm kidding. No, guys. It's truly awful what happened to Michael. When's your birthday again? April 16th. Michael James Tavis, <laughs> born on April 14th. <gasps> An Aries. Another Aries Michael. Yeah. We're usually successful driven, responsible people. Mm-hmm. He was born in 1944, so around the same time you were born. Uh, that's not funny. That's accurate. Anyway, he was born in Los Angeles County, California. He's a California U. Okay. Well, hopefully not. Uh, so he grew up in City Orange. He went to Orange High School. Okay. That's kind of cool. He and ran track, played football, loved racing. Racing what? Like, like track, track, oh, like got racing, it. Okay. physically racing, running. Yeah. Um. After high school, he he didn't have like a typical like path to medical school. medical school. No, he oh. like worked at his uncle's club, uh, parking cars. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I feel like that was like typical back then. Yeah. Yeah, it was a good job. I had a ton of jobs in high school and college. You always mention like the one job you had. At... I had a ton of jobs. No, but what's the one job he always talks about? Which one? The, the, the pizza delivery. The pizza delivery job. Well, that, I also, I also was a, a, a stock boy in the supermarket, which I thought was. Not, are, I usually, usually talk he about always that. has this funny story when he was a stock boy, that he was like, and he always like you know would talk about how he's going to be a doctor, he's going to be so successful, kind of like Suika, right. his son. Um, <laughs> so he was, uh, he was at the grocery store at the supermarket, and he was like. Cat Stock, food aisle. Yeah, he's in the cat food aisle stocking cans. <laughs> and he saw his kid from high school. He's like, are you going to like medical school? He's like, yes. <laughs> he's stocking like the cat food cans. Whatever. I was yeah. in between high school and college. That's normal. And I was about to enroll in community Did college, which is where I went. Where yes. I started my a- Yeah, that was the other thing. He's like, I'm at journey. community college. I'm they said, so a where are you boy. at? You uh, know, and these other people are like, well, I'm going to Yale next year, and I'll be matriculating at Columbia. And I'm like, <laughs> well, I'm, I'm going to be starting at Rocket Community College next year, and I'm like pushing the cat food up. And they're like, lots of doctors go to community college. <laughs> <laughs> I look at you now. <laughs> but it, it didn't feel good at the time. Mm-hmm. But it did motivate me. Public so humiliation is, motivates you, noted. The point is that it's a, I think it's a good thing to get jobs when you're young. And I was a... Did your parents make you get jobs? No. My mother, to this day, she's like, I don't know why you worked. <laughs> we didn't tell you to get a job. I'm I like, literally, I wanted to work. I wish that was me. She said, I, I was 14. I was a busboy. Yeah. She's like, what are you doing this for? I'm like, it didn't it really... Feel, it made me feel important and like like useful. Made you feel important to be a busboy? Yeah. When you're 14, to have like you know, just filling out the job application was like, you know, like, I'm a person. You didn't pass that along. <laughs> I didn't pass that along to my nepo babies. No, yeah, no. no. He has just but, like a fucking. But you know, my nephew nepo Josh, he has that. I mean, he went to every store in Harding Avenue and filled that application. He lost it because it makes sense. 
Yeah. By the way, <laughs> but, Rosie Rosie yeah. is the doctor's sister in law. That's how she knows all these adolescent yes. stories. I've about known him. Rosie since she was ele- eleven. Yes, eleven. Eleven years old. That's literally crazy. And now yeah. I'm seventeen. And now she's, <laughs> and she's fourteen and a half. It's been, it's been a long three, six years. Long three years. Um, anyway, so he was a valet. So yeah, he, he was a valet for his uncle's club, uh, but eventually he was like, no, I want to be a doctor. Okay. And he applied to UCLA, school, went yeah. there for undergrad, and mm-hmm. then also medical school, and became Whoa. a licensed physician in 1974. Good for him. So, okay, so 74. So, he's so 30, he was 30, 30 years old. 30. So he took some time. He took a little bit of time, yeah. Most, yeah. most people graduate med school around 26. Yeah. 27. But he's smart, you know? Yeah. To be able to go from parking cars to UCLA. Right, no, he must have been smart. Yeah. Yeah. So after becoming licensed, he opened up a private practice and focused on reconstructive plastic oh, surgery. Nice. I also feel like that was like kind of the bigger market back then for plastic surgery. Hundred percent. Yeah, cosmetic surgery was not. What year did he open up his practice? In California. What year? Oh, 1974. Yeah, it was. There was very little cosmetic surgery going on in 1974. The the like even the like the aesthetic societies and stuff didn't come into their own until like the 80s, 90s. There was like literally no. Was anybody getting cosmetic surgery? Yeah, there were, there were, it was, it was usually for rich and famous people. It was like actors, act, rich people, rich old ladies would get their faces pulled really, right. really tight. Breast implants were not really a thing. Nose jobs. That much. They were just coming around. Yeah. Nose jobs were a thing. Yeah. But, you know, were they done like crazy in nose jobs back then? It was like they would cut your, they do that no, diamond no, that, cut that or was, whatever. No, no, no. The diamond nose is like when the tip goes up like a little ski jump because uh-huh. the doctor's name was Diamond. But they used to, in the eight in the early 1900s, they would do nose jobs by just cutting out the, like, directly through the skin here. Oh, wow. They would just open up. Crazy. <laughs> just cut so it he, out. So he did reconstructive surgery. So which, what doing, is, what's the difference between reconstructive and cosmetic surgery? So reconstructive surgery is, like, after cancer. Breast cancer is a big one for reconstruction. Um, any kind of trauma, car accident, burns, hand surgery, microsurgery. Any kind of, you know, um, making the body whole again. Mm-hmm. As opposed to like enhancing the body, making it more attractive, which would be mm-hmm. purely cosmetic aesthetic surgery. So he yeah. went to reconstructive surgery. Yeah, and at this time, people said he was a great surgeon. He was committed to his profession, and he also would provide free reconstructive surgery to needy youths. Yeah, that's important yeah. to feel yeah. like to have self confidence when you're young. Yeah, no, especially if, when you're talking about reconstructive surgery, it means that they had birth defects. Right. It means that they were in accidents, maybe car accidents, maybe they had scars on their face. And he fixed him for free. So it sounds like a really great guy. He was a nice guy. Well, his um, name is Michael, and he's an Aries. I'm sure he was a fantastic mm. guy. So um, at that point, he was seen as one of the top cosmetic surgeons in Northern California. Oh. He was, and reconstructive, you said. Yeah, reconstructive yeah. cosmetics. Eventually, his practice would come to focus on abdominal plasties, liposuction, facelifts, brow lifts, rhinoplasties, and breast augmentations. Yeah, because as the 70s, 80s progressed, so... What year does this story take place? So, in 1974, he became a licensed physician. 1978, right. he married a woman. Okay. They started a family. Uh-huh. They had two children. Uh-huh. And they were living in Pentaluma, which okay. is north of San Francisco in California. Okay. But him and that wife divorced in yeah. 1995. Mm-hmm. So, during that time, he started, like, looking for hobbies, right? Like, he's yeah. trying to reinvent himself. At this point, it's, it's 1995. How old is he now? Born in 44. 50-something, 50 51. 51. 51. Yes. 51. 51. <laughs> Holy shit. Yeah. Yeah, he's... Did you see how I just froze when I had to do math? Oh, yeah. <laughs> he was... That's why I'm here, for the math. He was... <laughs> um, so he was 51. Yeah. 
and his practice had taken off. People really liked him, but he just divorced his wife. He was looking for some hobbies. So he started doing pottery. Oh, that's nice. Isn't that cool? Yeah. And at one of these pottery classes, he made... I did pottery as a boy. He did everything. I did. Yeah, he's a buzz boy. He was a stock boy. He was I can, your pizza delivery I can handle guy. a wheel. And, and so Linda had them do all hobbies. Kiln. Like, kiln. I would put it in kiln. the kiln. We know what a kiln is. Hard and glazed. I haven't seen you do pottery ever. No, it's been a while. You should take it up again, maybe. Maybe. Okay, so. Okay. So, um, that's at his, one of his pottery classes is where he met his soon-to-be next wife, oh. Deborah Sigmund. Deborah Sigmund, okay. They really hit it off. And just a year later, in 1996, they were married. Oh, that's nice. Is she a family. doctor, too? Or? No. She ended up, like, going and working for his... Uh, practice? Practice as, oh. like, uh, that's nice. a patient coordinator. Nice. She wasn't, like, a practice manager. Great to, have, he great had to have family in the practice. Right, Rosie? Yes. Yep. Um, and apparently they ended up having, like, a lavish wedding in Paris. Wow. Nice. I mean, it's, he's 51. It's a second marriage. Yeah, why not? Yeah. So they had a nice blended family. Okay. All right. So do you remember how I said that he was doing first reconstructive surgery? Yeah. Yeah. And then he went into... Cosmetic surgery. Cosmetic surgery. Which is not an uncommon like pattern in plastic surgeons' careers. Like it's even unusual. now or even just now. back then? Even now. Because when you first open a practice... It's rare to be able to come straight out of training and open up a cosmetic surgery. Because practice. in medical school and residency, they don't really teach you cosmetic surgery. Right. They teach you reconstructive surgery. That's right. the bulk, like 85%, so, 90% of your training is reconstructive surgery. Right. It's still like that? They it's haven't still like that? that. It's still like that. Because who are you going to train on? Right. Like, no one wants to have a resident. True, because they're paying a lot of money paying for the money surgery. For cosmetic surgery. Right. But now, some residency programs have, like, discounted... Cosmetic surgery, where you know you're paying less because you're getting somebody oh. who's training, but they did that at the University of Miami. They did it in other places where I where I was training. And then if you want to go into cosmetic surgery, typically you'll go, maybe you'll do another year of fellowship like I did in aesthetic surgery. Right. Where it's you're a fellow. And, and Anyway, the point is that most plastic surgeons, when they go into practice, they start doing reconstructive surgery, at least some part-time. At the ER, like they'll do call up an emergency room, do right. trauma surgery, burn surgery. Right. They'll be referred breast reconstructive cases, that sort of thing. And then as your career matures, you go more into cosmetic if you want to. Right. Cool. So that's what he did. So that's what he did. Mm. And he was good, but he did have some complaints. What do you mean? He had, throughout his uh, time, the course of his career, he had been sued a dozen times for medical malpractice complaints mm. and uh, accusations of negligence and incompetence. Over how many Over how many years? From 1974 to... Till 98? 98. Twenty no. something years. A dozen. A, a dozen. dozen. Sounds like a lot. No, that's what they said. Depends on what state you're in at that oh, yeah, time. That's true. But California is pretty litigious. True. If he's practicing twenty something years, that could be thirty thousand patients. You know, twelve. You know, you, we don't know. What, what was there any merit to any of those cases? Did he lose any malpractice cases? No, I don't know. Oh, it just it just. But they twelve were filed. Yeah, twelve were filed. But still people, they, I mean, they still said, like, everywhere you read, they said he was a great plastic surgeon. Right. So I feel like it couldn't, they couldn't have been, like... That serious. Yeah. Right. Or, like, him have lost some of them. Right, right, right. Right. Yeah. They said he was one of the best. I believe it. Who knows? And honestly, you can talk more about this, like, when we get to that part. Okay. Like, I think a lot of people's complaints of plastic surgery is all, like, relative. It's all relative, yeah. 
So. Well, a lot of what we do is 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 uh, like I say, psychiatry with a knife. So, part of, you know, like I turn away a lot of patients for psychological reasons. So sometimes, if you, um, if you select the wrong patient, maybe the wrong time of their life, the wrong personality, plastic surgery is not going to help them, and they end up kind of blaming you for their other problems. It's even worse sometimes if you have a reconstructive surgery practice because right. as a cosmetic surgeon, aesthetic surgeon, I can pick and choose my patients. I don't have to operate on everybody that comes in the door. It's not like a restaurant where they kind of have to serve you. So, But a reconstructive surgeon, you have to take all comers. You can't say, oh, I'm not doing, I'm not going to fix your... I'm not going right. to put your ear back on because you're a Vander Holyfield and you're going to get it bit off again by Mike Tyson. You can't you can't turn away a car accident right. victim or a breast reconstructed patient. So right. you may catch some people that may be emotionally, psychologically unstable. Right. Well, it's funny you say breast reconstructed surgery because Teresa Mary Ramirez mm-hmm. went to Dr. Tavis just for that. What year? So let's, let's tell you more about Teresa first. Okay, tell me. <laughs> Before Teresa met Michael, Teresa was born in 1952, also okay. in California. She grew up in San Francisco. Okay. She was the oldest of three children. Mm-hmm. She was Hispanic, if you couldn't tell from her name. <laughs> Teresa Mary Ramirez is like the most holy name ever. Okay. Um, <coughs> a friend of hers described her as a little tiny thing, very outspoken. She'd tell you what she thought. She never smoked. She never right. drank, swore anything. Just a pleasant person. Right. Which makes sense because she was a nurse. She was also she was in a the nurse. Field. Oh, yes. Okay. She was described as a caring and nurturing person. Nurses usually make great patients, by the way. Wouldn't you say, Rosie? Mm-hmm. Yes. Doctors they do. are terrible patients. I feel like because they have good perspective, like they deal with the patient more than the you'd doctor think, does. You think doctors would have good perspective, but doctors are not great patients. Well, because doctors are controllers. Are yes. They don't like to be out of control. Yes. And nurses kind of understand what's going to happen, and that you know it takes a while. To recovery and there's gonna be pain they understand yeah. the procedure yeah they right. understand the process they're right. familiar with the process right. right um so she was a nurse at kaiser permanent oh i hate kaiser <laughs> they're medical like the center in santa rosa <laughs> california they're like, Why? they're like the skynet of hospitals they're like very like any patient who has kaiser insurance like they can't get medical clearances they can't get because kaiser will like only work with other kaiser doctors oh they're a so ginormous like, medical conglomerate in california they're like a to- uh, an octopus of medical care yeah so that's where she worked and it was weird because they said that she was like very outspoken but according to her coworkers, she mostly kept to herself right she okay. just clock in clock out right what kind of nursing do you know no okay so, in 1988, mm-hmm. Teresa was diagnosed with breast cancer in her right breast. Okay. Wow. And she elected to have a double mastectomy, which means she, she had really both. She said she was born in 1952. Two. 52. So, yeah, she, she was 36. She was 52? Yeah, 36. 36. Yeah. She's 36, and she gets that. Why'd she have a double mastectomy? Didn't you say that that's common? Oh, those days. Now, we, we have genes. You know, we have genetic testing. So, I guess if, you get, if you test for the gene... And you know you're gonna have it, then they will take off the. Well, she had breast cancer. It. Yeah, but just one side. So I thought they would do both for the breast cancer on one side too, just in case. Mm. Maybe she do it just in case. It doesn't say why, but it depends on the stage and whatnot. A lot Maybe. of factors go into it, but I, I don't. I, I, my in my I trained in the '90s. I don't remember so us just doing just because. Really. But by then we had. But then also, if you end up like having to have reconstructive surgery, like wouldn't you want? To be like, symmetrical? Yeah, that's to a have good like reason. a good starting That's a place. very good reason, doctor. Oh, 
<laughs> that would be a good reason to Scalpel. do it. If you yeah. take both off, you can make them both symmetrical. Ten blade. Right. Right. <laughs> Sutra. Right. Dr. Rizzi. Right. Close up. I'm done here. <laughs> uh, patient is ambling, period. Ambulating. <laughs> ambulating. Ambulating. Wounds are clean, dry, and intact. Period. Period. She's had a bowel movement. Period. period. That's how the doctor takes his notes. Okay. I dictate. That's why I say period. Period. Santina says period. Just say period. Yeah. That's so true. I say period because... Period. Me and the rest of the internet. I wonder yeah. if the person who invented period was a medical dictator. <laughs> a scribe. A scribe. I, get, I digress. Go ahead. Okay. So... She has a double mastectomy. A couple years go by, and she decides she wants to go to one of the best reconstructive surgeons. Michael. Michael James Tavis. Yeah. It actually doesn't say when she got it with him, but I think it was 1990. Okay, fine. Um, because 1980. It was obviously during his reconstructive phase. Yeah. And not his tummy tuck liposuction phase of right. his career. Right. But I think 1990 because. She was diagnosed with cancer in 88. Yes, and then she had her double mastectomy. Then, she healed from that. Whatever. Right, right. So she goes to him, and she has two saline implants put in, right. which was basically all they had back then. They didn't have... Uh, At that point in time, the silicone was still on the market, but it was falling out of favor. The old silicone that was like a... It was like honey inside. So it would leak and be... So they Do you want to tell people exactly like what... A mastectomy is and yeah sure a mastectomy and, and how is, the reconstructive process works yeah sure so a mastectomy is uh, done usually for breast cancer mm-hmm. um, there's a couple of different kinds of mastectomies sometimes if the cancer is caught early or if you're taking off a breast prophylactically like in prevention of potential breast cancer because of the gene you'll leave all the skin and you can even leave the nipple okay so you just left with like an envelope of skin the nipple and then you can put in an implant and Fill reconstruct, it fill it up with an implant, silicone or saline, whatever. By the way, at that time in the nineties, like I said, the you silicone tell, was being taken off the market. You can tell the story of the silicone taken off the market. Yeah. So yeah. originally, breast implants were um, actually the first breast implants were just like, I think, just bags of from blood? the blood bank. Yeah. And then they just what? sterilized the bags of blood. What year was that? I think in the fifty, late fifties. Was it Doctor Cronin? I think his name. So is there? In, it was just Texas. a blood bank that would match their blood, and they would get. So they'd have to match their blood to get... I don't even think they bothered matching the blood. They didn't think it was going to leave. It was just a bag. A bag made of what? It was a bag. Hey, so look, you know, breast cancer's been around for a long time. Mastectomies, as an operation, has been around for more than 100 years. So so basically a mastectomy is you remove the breast tissue when somebody has cancer. Exactly. Okay. So, and then when they would, to reconstruct it, you want to... There was nothing. There was, you want to... For many years, 50 years, there was nothing. You just had no breast, no nipple, nothing. You just no had no nipple, breast, no low. Okay. Nothing. So then they started using, so implants started for reconstruction? Correct, yeah. Of course. Okay. Yeah. So they would use implants to fill the breast. They tried all different re- things. Try- bags of blood, bags of saline, they just sterilize it, throw it in there. Who did that? Uh, some ballsy doctors in Texas. Yeah. I think doctor's name was Cronin. And okay. I was doing else. some shit in Texas. <laughs> no, it's, listen, so they, plastic but surgeons I mean, it was, as a specialty were very <laughs> innovative, in, in, creative, and, innovative. Right. But you it know, was a need. Our, I mean, if someone had need. cancer and wanted breasts again, you know, they were trying to. Yeah. It, it was. It was started that like, way. I get it. The kind of questions they ask when, like, you're applying to be a plastic surgery resident, or like, okay, if you if someone said you have to make angels wings on this person, how would you do it? Like, like a, it's like a Google interview. Right. It's like a Google. <laughs> right. So they're trying to test to see, like, how can you solve a problem? How creatively can right. you do it? Okay. And back in those days, in the fifties, the medical field was much less litigious. Right. 
people had cancer, it was like they were they were looking for anything. Right, right, right. And you had these guys who who okay. stepped up and tried to fix the problem. So they used blood bags, saline, saline bags, bags, and then eventually they uh, they did polyurethane foam. I mean, foam. <laughs> any, anything they could get their hands on and sterilize. Whoa. So and wait, what was it? So silicone was like saline in the sense it was like a bigger pocket, and there's like a honey. So they had no, no. they so had the, a they, they had, had a, a bag a plastic a, bag okay right, a plastic bag okay and you want fill it with something okay so they did so they went through they went from blood and then eventually to Saline. the first version of silicone right the, the silicone came came yeah like that after, was like in the eighties right no 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 it came it was in the late fifties sixties oh someone's, really one of, one of the doctors had got a hold of Dow Corning and they had they, a, a chemical engineer or somebody they were working on this problem and they. You know, okay. They had a contact, and they decided, yeah, let's try to manufacture something that will suit women because of a big need for breast reconstruction. Right. But um, so silicone was chosen. The beginning had the... of it was silicone was chosen because it feels soft. It feels kind of like a real breast. Okay. But the formulation of the original silicone implants was a liquidy kind of thing, like honey almost. So that's when it used to start leaking and causing all and those the, problems. And they didn't test the bags for like longevity. Like how, okay. could they last five years, 10 years, 15 okay. years? I mean, they did some testing, but they didn't really know. But again, there was a, a need. Okay. You know, so they started putting them in. The FDA, again, at that time was not the, what the FDA is today. In fact, I don't even think, there might not have even been an FDA in the very beginning of the 50s. I think it was like later on that they started... That they doing um regulation you know the thalidomide you know uh birth defects and things like that that in the 70s and 80s that the the fda really start, got some teeth so um so, so they would take a bag of this and they put it in and then thalidomide is what they gave pregnant women when they were nauseous right or to sleep or something yeah, yeah. So, and it caused breast cancer yeah, yeah yeah so um then the first Women that got breast implants for cosmetic reasons were nurses that worked in the hospital with these two doctors. Oh, okay. They got uh, perks. They got perks. <laughs> they, so they, and they and those nurses kind of different from here. Some of the first. When you some want of the BBL. first. The, the, the legend is some of the first nurses did not get silicone implants. They got all the other crazy the stuff they bags. were trying. Oh, okay. I remember it's Texas. Everything's big, bigger is better in Texas. So when did uh, the Honey liquid silicone because so it standard. started so it started no it started leak so it started seventies no, or or seventies eighties okay. and that's when cosmetic surgery started to see a small increase in regular people getting it they were still expensive um, and Dow Corning made a ton of money selling these silicone implants by the end of the eighties though a lot of women were complaining that they were leaking and when the the liquid silicone leaks it kind of goes into the tissues okay. into your armpit. That, you know, it, it doesn't just stay put. It's not cohesive. Okay. It's not solid like a gummy bear. Okay. So, and they, the women got together that had these issues with the silicone leaking, and they sued Dow Corning out of existence. So that company that made the, that division of Dow was bankrupted. Right. And But there still is, was this need for implants. So the, uh, the company came along and made just, oh, we have implants that are made of silicone on the outside. Like the bag is silicone, but the inside is water. So the FDA said, okay, we're going to take the silicone implants off the market. Okay. We'll let you reformulate it and test it properly because when these went on to market, there was no real FDA. So they, to speak. Is the silicone testing still study still going on or it's finished? Because I remember when they're, they're, there's always they're always testing. They're always because I testing. remember you had to be part of the study like when like right in the, the early two thousands. Yeah, the early two thousands to right. use right. like the silicone so implants. 
for the entire decade of most of the 90s, you could not get silicone implants. Okay. So in America? Every, in America. Okay. And, and, and a lot of other parts of the world, too. Okay. Um, and so almost everybody either replaced their old silicone with saline. Okay. Um, except for the few people that were in the studies of the newer silicone formulations. Okay. So, so when I was putting them into the, in my practice, it was only in the in, under the study right. protocol. Okay. So Teresa, she only had... She, she got sa saline. She got saline implants. She got saline, and that's why. And that's the, that's the history of... Short history of implants. Yeah. And by the way, I'm not a big fan of saline implants. I just don't like the way they feel. They feel well, like No one likes water. them now. Yeah. Some people like them because they're cheaper, but I don't... I don't. Yeah, but how much cheaper... A thousand bucks. It's not worth it. <laughs> the okay. fuck? It leaks and that's it. It's deflated tit. It does. And and, <laughs> and like it's like one percent per year, you know, one it's, of the other lakes. So okay. they do leak. Okay. Last week actually. So that's what Teresa got. She got saline. That was like the new hip thing to do. Right. And at first she loved her results. Mm -hmm. You know? And it, honestly, like, how could you not? You went from like literally nothing. Mm -hmm. Here's the thing. Sometimes people, okay, so there's, there's, there's two things to talk about. One is a lot of breast reconstruction is done immediately. Hers was done years later, like two years later. Is that immediate? Are you sure? Even on the side that was a prophylactic mastectomy? A lot of times... She did them at the same time. A lot of times if they're doing implants, they'll do it at the same time as the mastectomy. And so sometimes women, they'll never wake up without breasts. Okay. So they but go I to sleep. They with, have to do like but that's not the case of Teresa. And flaps and all that it depends. Okay. If it's a prophylactic mastectomy and you're okay. just hollowing out the breast tissue and you're leaving all the skin, yeah, you, you don't need an expander. It, just put, put it in. It. And if her cancer was small enough, you could you could do immediate breast reconstruction with implants without okay. without expanders. Okay. But but that's not what happened with her. Well, okay, but I'm just saying sometimes you wake up and you never really had it flat ever. And you're disappointed because you went to sleep with pretty breasts. Yeah, one of them had cancer, but really cancer you don't really see. Right. It's something that's on the inside that you feel. So, yeah. So you're saying she had no breasts? For yeah, she years. waited because she she looked for a doctor. Right. She had the mastectomy and she looked for the doctor right. she wanted. Right, right, right. She landed on Michael. Okay. Um. So at first she was like super happy with her results, but as the breasts began to settle and her swelling subsided, you know, she started to complain that they were uneven. No two breasts are exactly the same. They're like sisters that look alike. But they're like twins. sisters that look alike, not identical <laughs> twins. Whether they're real breasts or whether they're reconstructed breasts. And you'd expect if one had cancer and one didn't, that there might have been a different amount of skin that was taken out from each side. Right. Too. Okay. So, yeah, like that little, like, unevenness. Yeah. It would be like, like something that bothered her for years and years and right. years and years. Did and they I, have pictures? What? what no. I didn't see anything. We should try to find that. I no, there's there's it. pictures of her, but I don't think. No, I'm saying like before and after pictures of her no. breasts. No, no, I didn't find that. Okay, but um, was she married or have any kids? I don't think so. Okay. Or I think she might have had kids actually. Okay. All right. I'm not sure. All right. So, so for years she was plagued by her uneven breasts. Yeah, so I'm not what happened. So she's 36, so she, she gets her mastectomy. 38, she gets her reconstruction. But So she complains to Dr. Like, Tavis. Yeah. And I'm not sure what ends up happening, but he doesn't do a second surgery. Right. He, I don't know if he reimburses her. I don't think, I don't think he does because by 1992 she formally sues him. Oh. Okay. Well, yeah, you're not going to do it now. She's suing him. And she claims that 
he failed to disclose the risk of her silicone, sorry, her saline breast uh, leaking. And then she also sued the manufacturer, Dow Corning. Oh, okay. That was a thing to do in the 90s. Yeah. So they made the saline implants also? Yeah. Okay. So she, so she sued them both where she filed the complaint, but her attorney voluntarily dismissed the case because he didn't think that she would prevail. Right. So nothing, ha- nothing happened. Yeah, because, I mean, it's in the consent form for sure if you put saline implants in. It's like standard. Also, it's only been like two years. Right. They didn't deflate, though. No, I don't think they did. So she was just suing him because he failed to disclose that they might deflate? Right. She didn't have, like, a real case. Right. So she tried to go through, like, a textbook, right. like, kind of, like, legal-based Try like, to find some... Find a reason. Right. A reason. And also she... Plus, everybody was suing Dow Corning back then. If you had breast implants, you were suing Dow Corning because they were handing out cash. bags of cash. Really? Yeah. Should like I try suing billions. them now? <laughs> yeah. I don't really have, like... Breast implants, but I can get them. <laughs> just to just sue to Dow Corning. Well, they're already bankrupt, so I don't think you can sue. Oh. They definitely have, like, a second company. Yeah, but, you know. <laughs> no one ever goes... They learn from the lesson of the first No company. one ever goes bankrupt. Look at Forever 21. I always think of, uh, what's his face? David Schwimmer, because he played that... Yes. He played the breast man yeah. guy. Yeah. <laughs> when that that, whole thing that's was based breast. on the true story yeah, of those yeah, guys. Yeah. Who's that? I know Ross. David Schwimmer. I know him. Yeah, so he did a movie about the whole breast imp- silicone breast yeah, it's implant. It's called thing. Breast Men. Breast Men. Oh, that's funny. It's a good movie. I never see him in anything other than Friends. Okay. Oops. So, okay, um, Zoomer. <laughs> anyway, she spent the next decade having numerous breast sur- surgeries, which she ten also, years. Yeah. Okay. Which she also tried to get. Well, no, not really ten years. Okay. It what? was ten years from. Almost the time she had the surgery with Michael originally. He was her first surgeon. Right. And that was what in was 19, that, you said? that was in 1990. 1990. How but many surgeons did she try after that? I think it was like five. But oh, she wow. went to way more. Oh, wow. But they would refuse her. Yeah. Right? They yeah. would refuse to take her because they thought that she was too difficult. Yeah. Or because they thought that her breasts were as even as they could possibly be. That's exactly what I said, right? <laughs> I, I never met this lady and I haven't seen her breasts, but. It's normal to have unevenness. some unevenness. That's and just... also, her insurance company stopped wanting to pay for, like... Yeah, right. because all these doctors are seeing her saying they're as good as they can be. Right. You know, why should we do... Something? No, but after, like, the third surgery, like, how many more are they going to pay for? Like, right. How can you continue Especially if you have documented in the medical record all these other consultations where they're saying it's fine. Right. right. So, of course, insurance is not going to pay So, she that. was just pissed, like, for seven, eight years. Like, I'm just trying to figure out what her what was her goal. To have them not uneven. Also, I'm sure, like, with the more surgery she had, there was probably more scarring, probably yeah. more, like, right. scar tissue. Like, I don't know. But was I mean, was there got... anybody else in her life that was, like, telling her about her? Was there, did she have a husband that was, like, making her feel bad about it? Or? I mean, I'm sure it's a whole emotional process. She had cancer. She lost right. her real breasts. And she wanted, you know, she had to get new ones. And they weren't what she hoped. And, you know, yeah. I'm emotional sure the... roller coaster. And I'm sure every surgery made them worse. Yeah. But most, most women that go through this process you know don't go to 10 surgeons and you know oh i don't know i don't know well, well i'm telling well, you come yeah. to find that no i'm saying i don't know most why women she are, most women most people that go through it they're very grateful right you know yeah. you, their life is saved they're happy to have a breast and right. they're glad they're alive now and not like you know 40 years ago right when, yeah, they, I don't know. when they couldn't do maybe this maybe she had some personal stuff going on yeah well i'd be like i'd be curious to find out about that stuff 
researching. You will not be finding out that stuff today. <laughs> okay. So then what happened? Where's the crime? I put the, Where's the crime? I put the M in amateur. <laughs> okay, so let's fast forward. So yeah, last we heard, 1992, her court case against Michael Tavis failed. He continued to do reconstructive surgery. I mean, he went into plastic surgery. Right. like More know, cosmetic surgery. More cosmetic surgeries. Mm-hmm. He was booming. Because in 1992, he was still with his first wife. Right. right. Like, he's, like, at the kind of beginning of his career-ish. Right. Like, whatever. Not the Paris wedding life. No. So, yeah. So, this is all 1992. Remember, Dr. Tavis is still, like... Like, by 1997, he's in a completely different place in his life. Like, in 1992, when he saw Teresa, he was still married to his first wife. He never met Deborah. They had kids, right? They had two kids. They had two kids. And um, then he divorced her in 95, In 95. And then immediately married And then 90, French yeah. wife, number two. No, she wasn't French. I know, but they got married in Paris. I'm going to call her French wife. Whatever. So, so imagine, he's moved on with his life. While Teresa's like still, it's like, they're two completely different points. Because right. from 1992, Teresa's life is never the same. She spends the next seven, eight years, doctor after doctor, like Trying to get her breasts perfectly claims. symmetrical, yeah. which is impossible. Yeah, she spends all these years, and he is thriving. His practice mm. is taking off. He's getting married in Paris. He's getting married in Paris. He's probably going to retire soon. Yeah. He has, yeah. He's on his second wife. Da, 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 da. Yeah. So let's fast forward to the morning of July 3rd, 1997. Okay. Deborah and Michael Tavis. July 3rd, 1997. Right. That's seven years or so after the reconstruction, you said? This is seven years after the reconstruction, okay. one year into... Has he had any contact with her other than the lawsuit that no. didn't go anywhere? No. So he's living his life and... Right. He's not thinking about her at all. No. Okay. I'm sure at that time, too, he might have been dealing with those, like, other lawsuits that I told you about earlier. Right. The 12 lawsuits. Right. Right. About it. Now, some of those lawsuits may have been just like that one. Yeah. It could have been, because at that time, when the silicone implants started falling apart, every doctor was, they were naming every doctor that put it in, Dow Corning, so a lot of those lawsuits may just be that. Right. Might not be a reflection at all on his skill, okay? So. I'm going to play the the surgeon's advocate here, okay? So, really, the devil's advocate. Anyway, in July 3rd, 1987, the Tavises left their house at 8.25 a.m. They're... Practice opens at 8.30 a.m. They were running late. Okay. But it was no problem because their practice manager, Kay Carter, would be there to let in their first patients and first right. consults of the day. So they phone the practice and they call Kay to let her know that they're coming late to right. see their first patient. Her name was Helen Gilly West. Her okay. appointment was at 8.30. Okay. Um, and Kay doesn't answer, which they find to be like super weird because she's like really reliable. And super she's, on time. And she's supposed to have already been there. Right. Because the first patient comes at 8.30, comes at 8.30, like, yeah, they have to have let her in before that. Right. When they arrived, they were even more confused because they found that that patient, who was supposed to be inside for the 8.30 appointment, appointment yeah. was sitting outside in her car. Uh-huh. Because she hadn't been let in to the office. Right. So okay. they're like, okay, Kay must not be here. But yeah, Kay's... maybe she was an accident, maybe she didn't show up, whatever. But Kay's car was there. Okay, so mm. Kay is there, but not letting people in. That's weird. Right. Okay. So they, they like, they talk in their car for three to five minutes. They arrive around 
They talk in the car for three to five minutes, the Tavises. And then they enter the building, but through the back. Okay. To go figure out what the fuck is going on with Kay, and right. then also to walk to the front to let in their patient. Right. Um, apparently, the smell of coffee was brewing as they walked in, which right. also indicated that Kay was already there. Right. She put the coffee on the burner. So Dr. Tavis went toward the front of the office suite, mm-hmm. probably go open the door, mm-hmm. and Mrs. Tavis remained in the back. She was, like, putting on makeup. She, like, stopped in a mirror to put on makeup. Okay. And when she... When she was in the back, she could hear a woman talking to her husband and what she said was a controlled tone. She was telling Dr. Tavis that she had seen 28 surgeons or that she had seen eight surgeons. She couldn't ascertain if she said 28 or eight. Right. And then she heard her husband tell the woman, I'm sorry, I care. Yeah. And right immediately after, she heard the sound of four or five popping. Boom, 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 boom. But wow. given that... His last words were, I care? Yeah. Mm. Wait, but hold on. Given that it was July 3rd, the day before the 4th of July, oh, right. she fireworks. thought it was fireworks. Oh, wow. Yeah. But because she heard nothing else happen, she was concerned, and she left the building and through the back door and went to the reception of, like, their next-door neighbor uh-huh. to call the police. Like, she had, like, a bad feeling. Right. She didn't even want to go to the front to check it out. Right. Which is, like... Really sick, yeah. To think, because that's your husband. Yeah. Did she? Did she didn't, and she didn't know who it was. She no. didn't know. Oh, this is that lady that tried to sue him. No, and, she wasn't yeah. even in his life at the right. time that this lady was suing right. him. Right, right, right. Well, also, oh. who knows? That it, uh, did I say it was Teresa? No, you didn't say it was Teresa. But I mean, <laughs> since, since you told us so much about, Teresa. it could be Teresa's cousin. You don't yeah. know who Teresa sent. Right. Okay. Anyway. So, yeah, she ran out the back door, went to a nearby office, asked yeah. the receptionist to call. Yeah. No, first, she, sorry, she asked the receptionist to call Dr. Tavis's office to see if he would answer because right. he was in the front. Right. Which, because she didn't confirm that Kay was there. Right. So they called the office, no answer. She's like, oh, fuck. So call the police, the police come. And She's smart for doing that. For leaving or for calling the office? Both. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I literally wrote that. I was like, that takes like a level of like, yeah, like clarity. problem solving clarity. Yeah. Like, especially yeah. in that moment, there's probably like so much shit going on through. Like, I'm not sure yeah. I would have like the presence of no. mind to be like. If you even remotely thought guns would be like there were gunshots in your office. Right. I just... <laughs> but it's weird, too, because it was she first said that she thought it was like fireworks from the 4th of July. Right. right. But like the fact that Kay didn't answer all this stuff, she was like. Right. She was already. She was already Her like spidey senses, were right? Up, she had great intuition, this lady. Yeah. Always trust your intuition. So <laughs> she did when she listened to this podcast. So anyway, <laughs> the police arrive, mm-hmm. and unfortunately, they find Kay Carter unconscious in the reception area with a single gunshot wound to her head and her brain matter leaking out. Oy. Why would she kill the receptionist? She o- they also found Dr. Tavis lying next to her. He had been shot four times and pronounced dead at the scene. Kay wasn't, though. Um, Kay wasn't pronounced dead even no. though she was shot in the head? No. No. She still lived. She was wow. put on life support. and She remained that way for years and years and years. Wow. When the police got there, they started uh, interviewing, obviously. What about the patient that was waiting out front? She stayed in her car. She never got out. Lucky. Did she hear any gunshots? Was she part of the... 
I don't know. But yeah. when when they found Kay, again, she only had one brain shot. She only had one shot. Right. So maybe she also thought it was the 4th of July. Right. Who knows? Right. Or maybe she pulled up after Kay was right. already shot. Could be. Okay. You fine. never know. Okay. So they, I guess, interviewed everyone around the scene. Mm-hmm. They interviewed people in the neighboring building. This woman, Deborah Sajak, Sajka, sorry, Sajka. Okay. Who worked in the neighboring building told investigators she had seen a suspicious woman inside of a small pickup truck behind Dr. Tavis's office on the morning, like uh-huh. in the morning, that same morning. Um, but that she had seen the she had seen the same vehicle at the office a week prior. Oh, oh. she's scouting. Yeah. And she said, This is a quote from Sajka. She said, I had left for my lunch break at about one o'clock and I came back and she was in the parking lot. But what was really strange was by the end of the day at 5 o'clock, she was still there, same position, just staring at our building. One week later, the day of the shooting, I get there early in the morning, and here she is again. Right. Yikes. Ugh! That gave me goosebumps. It's so creepy. I hate when you find out that people, like, stalked the location. Yeah. I mean, it's obviously... Like, I think it, I think that's pretty common, though. If you're planning a murder. But it's so creepy, like, in hindsight, to be the person who realized that they were there previously. Right, yeah. right, right. Because, right. like, oh, when you saw them there staring at your building, you couldn't you couldn't imagine that this no. is what they would do a week later. No. Okay. So, three days later, the police obviously put together that it's Parisa. How? Um, oh, they had the license plate? They knew what kind of car she drove? No, 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 no. this is what it was. Yeah. So a hotel a hotel calls the police because they find a woman unconscious in their room, like in one of the rooms they rented. Okay. And when the police get there, this is three days later in San Francisco. Uh-huh. Um, the woman's in a diabetic coma, but they find a book with her. And the book has Dr. Michael Tavis James written. Like a list? Like, like a, a kill list. list? It had Kay Carter written. Why Kay? Because yeah. she was the office manager. I'm sure she spoke to her several times. Oh, wow. She had a bunch... I didn't know I was at risk. (laughs) (laughs) Stay woke. Um, Rosie. They found $5,000 in cash, a train ticket to Southern California, two guns, and then, yeah, the notebook with the list of names. Who was on the list? I told you, the doctor. Yeah. Okay, so each page had a personal identifying information about numbers of people, including Dr. Tavis, his address, his office address, his wife's name, Kay Carter, uh-huh. Kay Carter's address, her license plate number, and then the names of other multiple doctors that she had been in contact with in the in the last couple of years, and a couple of the insurance people who had denied oh, her. She had a long list. She had a long list. It's good she got out of that diabetic coma. I stopped her from continuing. but she's a nurse. Why did she let herself fall into a diabetic coma? Well, she wasn't thinking straight. I mean, she yeah. killed two people. Then she went back to the hotel and just like munched out on Twinkies. I don't know, or maybe she forgot her. Got a big gulp or something. I don't know. Maybe She's she didn't bring her medicine. With no, her. so apparently on on the list there was a name Robert Feiss. He was one of the insurance people in charge of approving her surgery request. Right. He requested that she see a psychiatrist before. Yes. Go- undergoing any further medical. I mean, procedures. clearly she had some kind of body dysmorphia going on. If all the doctors were saying no and her right. insurance won't pay for it, they just wanted to document the dysmorphia. It's too bad she didn't go to a psychiatrist because it might have saved, you know. Did she wake up from the coma? Yeah, she woke up from the coma. So wait, so this guy, she went to go visit him at his office. 
The insurance guy? Yeah. Who does that? When her surgery was denied and she was really, really angry. And according to him, she looked, this is a quote. He said, she looked at me and glared and said, I'll show you why. And put her hands on her blouse and made the motion as if she was going to rip open her blouse to show him the boob. Why didn't she? I don't know. But he said that she was really angry and that she stormed off. And this was about a week before. Wow. So she really lost it. Yeah. So she was she was charged with... Uh, murder? Murder and attempted murder. Yeah. Oh, because Kate didn't die. Because Kate didn't die. Wow. Um... Was she charged for attempted murder? Yeah. She oh, was, okay. She was charged in uh, 1998 with... Please tell me they convicted her. She was arrested and charged with first-degree murder, sorry, in 1997. Okay. With first-degree murder and attempted murder. And then while she was facing trial in 1998, mm-hmm. she was found hanging in a shower oh. in the Sonoma County Maine Adult Detention Facility. Right. But they... She survived. Oh. Wow. Yeah. And then in February of 1999, she was found guilty of first-degree murder in the death of Michael Tavis and the attempted murder of Kay. Uh-huh. She was sentenced to life without the possibility of parole. Good. Um, Carter never recovered. Well, she recovered for her wounds, but never. But she suffered permanent brain damage and yeah. lost the ability to speak. Oh, you're right. She died from complications related to her injuries in 2012. Did they Aww. retry her for murder then at that point? No, she was charged. Oh, yeah, I guess they didn't. I guess she got life in prison. Is that like double jeopardy? Can you do that? I know. Can you be charged for a different crime? In the same person? In the same person? I think you can. It's a different crime. Yeah, I think you can. Yeah. So. But I think usually they'll just like up the charge. So what? What? What takeaways do we have from this? Wait, hold on. So her. So she. She's not done. She appealed. What? Um, what? Did, walk, you, did you, did you appeal to get her breast re- reconstructed? On what grounds? What evidence? She said that the sent. Okay, she contends that the convictions and the resulting sentence were unlawfully obtained in the violation of her fifth, sixth, and fourteenth amendment rights because one, the evidence was constitutionally insufficient to prove the special circumstance of murder while lying in wait. And then th- that she planned it. Yeah, the premeditation. But, I mean, they, they had her scoping out the place. They not had a hit list. list. Well, I mean, like, a hit list is pretty The hit much, list is pretty premeditated. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Plus, they had her showing up at Robert Feist's. Yes, yes. And he was on the list. Yeah. Yes. Uh, she said, two, the jury instructions on lying in wait permitted the jury to find her guilty of murder by lying in wait without considering whether she had a mental state equivalent to deliberation. Oh, because she's trying to say she was crazy. Insanity, yeah. yeah. But if you can drive to the office and sit there. No, you can drive when you're insane. Oh, can you? Oh, yeah, I guess you drive. You drive. <laughs> That's true. Everyone in Miami drives. Okay, number three, the admission of evidence concerning hostile encounters between petitioner and her healthcare professionals having no connection with the charges in the case rendered her trial fundamentally unfair. They biased. Used, yeah, they used too much, like, hearsay between her and, like, the insurance companies and her other providers and stuff like that. A lot of that's documented, though. It's like in a medical record. It's not like, is that hearsay, really? There's a lot of... It's in the record. It might be an exception to hearsay. Yeah. But it has nothing to do with her case. Yeah. Well, it 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 goes to motive. Yeah, I mean, if she's saying it's irrelevant and if the bias is too much that it... Like, if it's too biased, the judge could... Yeah. Like, if they weigh, like, relevance and bias and, and, like, it outweighs it, then they could disregard it. So let's say, let's say this woman came to our practice. Yeah. God forbid. 
right? Yeah. And I put in the record, be she has body dysmorphia. She should not get surgery. She's combative, and et cetera, et cetera. I put that on the record. Yeah. But that's, that's not, not hearsay. hearsay. No. That's not hearsay. No. It's only hearsay if you said some. I heard another doctor say that right. she had it. So okay, so. So I don't. Sorry, I didn't mean to say hearsay. Oh. No, I. I mean, it might. Some of it might have been hearsay. But is that? Bi- but it was. Would that be inadmissible because you say it was biased? It could be if yeah. if the relevant if the bias outweighs the relevance, then they could. Rosie is a lawyer, actually. I'm not a good lawyer. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, because we have a, not a great researcher. So I did criminal law like 15 But I am years a good ago. plastic surgeon, okay? <laughs> so I don't know. I mean, in, when you do an appeal, you try to do you try to find any like uh, any loophole. Any possible. loophole well, they, to... they denied it. <laughs> they yeah. said the petitioner is not entitled to habeas relief on any of her claims and the court denies the petition in its entirety. Nice. Then again, March 24th, 2003, that was in 2002. In 2003, yeah. she again Oh, the court ordered her to show why the right should not be granted. And of 2004, the respondent filed an answer to the petition, having reviewed her papers, the records, and then having carefully considered the arguments and relevant legal authorities, the court upheld its <laughs> original <laughs> denial yeah, deny, denial yeah. for the petition of right. for a right of habeas corpus. Right. Um, as of 2001... She was 69 years old and still incarcerated in the California institution. As of 2001. One. That was the last update. Either she's dead or she's still there. Right. I mean, she'd be old. No. She was born 1950-something, so 2021. Oh yeah. Sorry, I meant 2021. Yeah, 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 that, that, makes, that makes more sense. Yeah. I didn't. I didn't know that I said 2001. Yeah, that's okay. But it says 21. Yeah. Yeah. She's 69 and currently incarcerated. Well, not currently. In 2021, was incarcerated at the California Institution for Women. And yeah. So right I mean, there's a, bu- there's a bunch of takeaways from this as a plastic surgeon. First of all, um, you know, plastic surgery is very emotional, and if you're emotionally unstable to begin with, it could push you over the edge. People who have body dysmorphia are especially vulnerable. Um, and it's important that plastic surgeons are able to recognize body dysmorphia to avoid these kinds of things. Now, in the case of reconstruction, it's impossible because you can't deny someone who needs breast cancer reconstruction, even if you know that there's some psychological issues there. It's really hard to to kind of justify well, I think there's probably care. a lot of, there's usually psychological issues there when you have breast reconstruction from cancer. Well, yeah. Sure, of course. A reconstruction a, of course from it, anything. Of, of, yeah. of course, it's, there's, there's emotional changes. Right. But I'm talking about people who have un, fundamental, un, let's say, you know, dark triad so do stuff they... or severe narcissism, histrionic, borderline personality. If they come into your office for cosmetic surgery, you can deny them on those grounds. But if they come in for reconstruction... It's a different story. So right. you don't get to pick and choose. I feel like as a general public person, like you don't even consider like body dysmorphia. It's huge. It's it's uh, and when I got here at they least showed, five percent of the population at they some show point you like body dysmorphia. It's they show thing. they every all their patients have like this little chart and it has like the little people, like the skinny, like medium, big person, like whatever, a range of different body types. Right. And you have like two charts as a patient. And you have to circle what the body type you think looks like you right now mm-hmm. and the body type you want to look like after surgery. And if there's like... Yeah, me and Rosie came up with that. Yeah, it's so <laughs> smart. It's like ingenious. And so if Thank there's you. some sort of like 
dissonance between either one. Yeah. Yeah. Like, if you're picking, if you're selecting a body type that looks nothing like you, either it's too thin or it's too big, you can't have surgery because you're not in the right mental space. Yeah. Or, you don't see what other people see. Right. Or if you select, you know, your correct current body position, but you expect to be either super thin or the other way, it's like you don't have clear expectations of plastic surgery Correct. and what it could bring for Correct. you. So it's like a, like something super small. Yeah. But like it really does tell you a lot about a person's like psyche. Tremendous. And yeah. it, and and the important thing is for surgeons to recognize it and say no <laughs> and explain it in a like a diplomatic way why plastic surgery is not right for you at this time. Doesn't mean forever. Right. But until you deal with that issue, you can't address it with surgery. Right. You know. Like I would not qualify for surgery because <laughs> you think because there's you're... the the leap between what I look like now and what I want to look like after is too big. Like it's not attainable. <laughs> No, you have, and I can recognize that. Good. That's healthy. It's healthy. That's the first step to cure. I could also recognize that maybe I'd circle the wrong body to begin with. <laughs> yes, you probably would. <laughs> I would. I would be disqualified on both charts. And then you'd you show think... me a picture of somebody with like only nipples and no areola, and be like, "Do this." When they do <laughs> breast reconstruction, do they have um, like psychological resources no. for patients, or explain to them? Kind of what it's going to be like afterwards. I mean, oh yeah, they have that. Like you try to explain as much as you can to and so people anticipate what they're going to go through, but at the same time, it's it, there's a lot going on. They want to live. They might have chemo, radiation, all this other stuff going on. So like the reconstruction, sometimes it, it it's it's hard for them to really right. It's not front and center, right. and then afterwards, when there's a little discrepancy and some symmetry, they may forget that you said. They're right. not going to be perfectly even. Right. You know, I, I say it a thousand times, and I didn't even know about this case. I don't know if that was the reason she killed him, you know? But you hear me say it over and over again on the Snapchat, on social media, so people understand what's possible and what isn't. Right. It goes for really any case in life. Right. There's two of them. That is the end of the first episode of Crime in Plastic. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope there... you enjoyed it. Sorry if there was some uh, missing information. You'll you know, get better, Santana. I'll get better. I'm a little rusty. Better. I haven't read a book in like, I don't know, yeah. since I was 10. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like 13 now. Well, Chat GPT it. Chat GPT is more factually inaccurate than me. Well, when yeah. it comes to true crime. You are factually inaccurate. No, no I wasn't inaccurate. Yeah, I just, yeah, also, I want to know all the details. and they may I know you asked me there. things like, what's her third cousin's middle name? Oh, <laughs> oh fuck. <laughs> Let me look that shit I up. I want to know. I want to know. I really would love to know what the breasts look like, just so that... Yeah, the before and after would be... I'm sure we could probably documents. find... I actually did read a court document for this one. That's okay. where I got like the whole yeah. right. appeals. The appeals and stuff. Right. I wonder, um, and I do wonder what was going on in her life besides the surgery that yeah. she was so hyper focused on yeah a lot know? of times it's a lot of times it's it's like a relationship a, a, a relationship issue or, or some self-esteem issue that started at a younger age and then you just like hyper focused on this thing like if you fix this thing everything else is going to be okay right. right and it doesn't really work like that no you still got to pay your mortgage even if you have perfect breasts Still well, gotta... <laughs> you're telling me even if I got a perfect boob. No, what I'm saying is, no, people do. People come in and they think, if I can, yeah. I can, I can make you look like Miss Universe, but that's you still got to have to deal with people in your life. Yes. 
It's not a cure. Your mom cure. is still it's, gonna be your mom. It's not a cure all. You're telling me even if I had like the tiniest areolas ever, I you would still, still... <laughs> would have some problems in your life. I guarantee you. Well, why don't we try and see? <laughs> why don't we just I'll make my areolas as small as possible? And then see if all my problems go away. And see if my problems go away. I think money falls from the sky. I think they might. All right. Well, I can't wait to hear the next episode. Me too. So thank you, Rosie. Thank you, San Rizzle. Thank, thank you. you, Megan. Thank you, Megan. Yeah. Unseen, Megan. <laughs>